Father, we come before your throne this day and we fall upon your grace. Would you feed us and nourish us with word and sacrament this morning? Lord, equip me beyond what I have been, what you have given me naturally. Lord, I have to rely upon your spirit for I cannot proclaim the word of God apart from you. And so overshadow me as I preach your word and overshadow this congregation so that all of us can hear it and receive it warmly and allow it to take root in our hearts by submitting to it. And so we commend ourselves this day to your love and care. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning. There are some times when I just like the preaching of the word, I just want to just sit in the liturgy and the songs and just allow them to preach. But we're not doing that. So, you know, if you got your hopes up, um, <laughs> turn with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapters four and five. What I want to do this morning is uh, pull on a thread. I want to follow a thread in these two chapters that leads us to our, our gospel reading that we just heard read for us this morning, and particularly to Jesus' claim that he did not come to abolish, but to fulfill the law and the prophets. So as you're turning there, the, the Matthew chapters 4 and 5, I'm going to describe for you a Super Bowl ad that Audi put out a few years ago. Yes, we are near that high and holy day of advertisement, so it's only right for us to use a Super Bowl ad this morning. It begins with a middle-aged man walking into a golden field as he approaches this nostalgic picture of a home. The music gives a sense of otherworldly expectation as the ad focuses on this old man sitting there on the front steps. In astonishment, our middle-aged man says, Grandpa? Grandpa? The two men then embrace as Grandpa says, Welcome home. Grandpa then takes him into a large barn and begins to remove the cover off of a car. And as he's doing so, music begins to crescendo and lights begin to flicker on in the barn to reveal Audi's new electric concept car, their e-tron line. You might have seen this. The middle-aged man sits in the driver's seat as the music finally reaches its peak and light begins to pour into the car when suddenly the music stops. And you see the man's body jerking violently upward and back, upward and back, and then the location changes suddenly from this heavenly scene to a dull, fluorescent-lit, cubicle-filled office where a middle-aged man is being jerked backwards and up by a man performing the Heimlich maneuver. He spits out what's choking on him as one co-worker says he's one lucky man, but he doesn't look lucky. He looks depressed. He looks depressed to be back in his office. And then the ad ends, and then we hear the song, Spirit in the Sky, and then a black screen with these two phrases. A thrilling future awaits on earth. A thrilling future awaits, period, on earth, period. So what's the vision presented in this ad? What is it offering to you? You can, you can say something if you want. What do you think? Heaven on earth? How can you get heaven on earth? Anyone? Leather seats. Leather seats? Well, leather seats. You have a low bar, but you will be well, you'll be, you'll be very happy in life, Jensen. No, naturally, uh, heaven on earth is, is by buying an electric Audi when it comes out. That's heaven on earth. Right? You see, Audi's not selling simply an electric car. They're, they're selling a vision of a good and flourishing life, the best life imaginable. 
Heaven on earth. And the only thing that's holding you back from that is not owning this electric car. And you know, the ancient world in which Jesus lived was not much different than that, than our own. First century Israel under Roman occupation had its fair share of self-proclaimed prophetic gurus, wannabe messiahs, and revolutionaries, all advertising a vision of the good and flourishing life. All of them advertising heaven on earth. Jews had been longing for that generation after generation, for God to finally and decisively redeem them from oppression and to bring about the vision of God's flourishing kingdom that Israel's prophets foretold. Like us, they longed for a good and flourishing life, not only for themselves, but for their children and their community. This human desire to flourish makes the Audi commercial work today, as it made those messages work back then. You see, God made us with this innate desire to seek life and its flourishing. This is part of what it, is this, this is part of what it means to be made in the image of God. This is, this is written into our DNA, as it were. Because we were made in the image of an, a life-giving, a life-giving and a life-creating God. However, as you know, in a broken world outside of Eden, our desires to flourish are often disordered and twisted. We find ourselves seeking flourishing at the expense of others or seeking a good and flourishing life but never able to attain it. True and enduring joy and fulfillment always seem just to be out of reach. Scripture tells us why that's the case. I hope you know the answer. Because our rebellion and sin separate us from our creator God, the source of true life and joy and peace and fulfillment. So Jesus begins his ministry advertising. He begins his ministry by advertising that he is here to make human flourishing possible. A vision of flourishing that involves reconciling us to God to one another, and mending those broken ties with God's good creation. And he initially advertises this vision in Matthew's gospel with what is like a roadside billboard by quoting a portion from Isaiah chapter 9 there in verses 14 and 15 of Matthew's gospel, the fourth chapter. You can look with it there. I'm not going to read it, but you can see it there. The larger context of Isaiah's prophecy there in in chapter 9 of his book presents this vision of human flourishing where the world covered in darkness is finally freed with light. Darkness is expelled by the light. Where joy, great joy can be found. Where oppression and war are no more. Where the ruler of the government is known by the title's wonderful counselor. Oh, wouldn't we want that? Wouldn't we want that? We want wonderful counselor to rule us. We want mighty God to rule us. We want everlasting father, our good, good father, to rule over us. We want the prince of peace. Isaiah also presents this place where flourishing and peace will never end, where the kingdom ruled by the Messiah, the Christ, is founded upon unending true justice and righteousness. I don't know about you. But I want that. I desire that. For my kids. For my family. For you as my church family. 
For this city, I desire that vision of flourishing that Jesus is advertising here in Matthew's gospel. I want that king. So naturally, we want to ask Matthew and Jesus, where can this kingdom be found? How can we experience the flourishing life of this kingdom? So right on the hills of this billboard, Matthew records in verse 17 of chapter 4 this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then that's paired with verse 19. Follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Follow me. Repent. That flourishing life is within your reach. Follow me and receive it. Jesus saying that true, that true flourishing is right here for us to take hold of. And that the way you begin to access it is through repentance. And the repentance that Jesus calls us to here, the repentance that unlocks true human flourishing, looks like turning from our own self-directed way of living. It is a turning away from whatever or whomever it is where we think our flourishing ultimately will come. From possessions like an electric Audi, or maybe a certain type of home or a lifestyle that you desire, Maybe it's a turning away from your career as the ultimate thing in your life, or maybe your incessant desire for your children to succeed and to set them up. Maybe it requires a turning away from an unholy view of our bodies and a desire to have a certain shape or look from a relationship, from our sexuality, from a gender identity, from whatever you seek as the answer or the key to true human flourishing other than Jesus. Jesus is saying, turn away from that. It's a false. It's false. It doesn't offer you what you desire. I can make all those things for you. I can give you all those things in their right order. Jesus calls us to turn away from pursuing these things as if they can bring true and lasting joy and flourishing and turn instead to God as he is revealed in Jesus, for he is the true source of life and its flourishing. Repent and follow me, Jesus says, for true and lasting flourishing, the kingdom of heaven on earth is here to be tasted, digested, to nourish you, It's here for you to experience now and in the age to come when it's here in its fullness. And the repentance that Jesus calls us to is not some dour exercise that restricts you from experiencing the best life has to offer. No, it is the key to unlocking the best life that God has for you. Now Matthew, the gospel writer, wants us to ask then, What is the best life that God has for us? He wants us to ask that question. He's setting up for us Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus gives this billboard, human flourishing. How do we get it? Repent, kingdom of heaven, human flourishing is near. Follow me. Okay, what's this life all about? What does it look like? Matthew is setting setting us up for this Sermon on the Mount in chapters 5 through 7 of his gospel. So what is the best that God has for you? Well, we can run too easily to answer that question for ourselves without any real intense consideration of what God says. Jesus knows this. 
So he doesn't want to hold that back at all. He wants to lead with what it looks like to be flourishing. And so he presents the defining virtues and dispositions of the heart of those whose lives are marked by true flourishing. The marks of those who through repentance and faith follow Jesus. And here are the marks of God's best life for you, according to Jesus, not me, Jesus. He says in verse 3 of chapter 5, blessed are you. Better translation is flourishing are you. Flourishing are you who are poor in spirit. Flourishing are you who mourn, who mourn the brokenness of our world. Flourishing are you who are meek, humble. Flourishing are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Flourishing are the merciful, those who show mercy freely. Flourishing are the peacemakers. Flourishing are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Flourishing are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. That's Jesus' vision of what it looks like to flourish here. Seek those things. Cultivate those dispositions by God's grace in your life. That is the life of the kingdom here as we await the fullness of the kingdom to come. These are the characteristics of the flourishing life of God's kingdom because these characteristics identify those whom God comforts, those whom God gives the earth to steward, those whom God satisfies with his abundant grace, those whom God shows mercy, those to whom God reveals himself those with whom God reconciles and now calls sons and daughters, each of you, to all these God gives a place in his flourishing kingdom. That's the invitation. That's the life that Jesus offers you. In that world where Jesus came, they didn't want peacemakers. They didn't want the meek and the lowly, the humble, They wanted a military victor to come and lead them in bloody battle and overthrow the Romans to bring about a flourishing life. But Jesus twists it all around. He takes an upside-down world, and he makes it right-side-up, and he gives us a vision for what it looks like to flourish. Christ Church, all of this is within your reach. If you're visiting with us this morning whether for the first time you've been visiting for a while, please know that true life and flourishing is near to you. It's right there for you to grab. The kingdom of God is here. God's deliverance is within your reach. Listen to Jesus and obey him. Repent, turn, and follow him. You might naturally be asking the question that I think probably those who are listening to Jesus were asking. Is Jesus worth it, though? There's a lot of things out there offering a flourishing life. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus the right path to take or should I just go and buy that Audi? Now this is the sort of question that Jesus anticipates and he answers in our gospel lesson this morning. Though Jesus' Jewish audience would have posed that question a little bit differently. Something along these lines. Is the vision for human flourishing 
Jesus' vision of the kingdom of heaven, is it at odds with the law and the prophets? Remember, the Old Testament scriptures present a vision for life through their prophets, through the law. This is what it looks like to flourish, and we can just live in obedience to God. Is what you're saying at odds with that? Is your message worth it? Well, we can easily miss what Jesus is saying here. His answer. What is his answer? Verse 17. No, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them, to bring them to their proper end, to bring them to fullness and completion, to wholeness. So what does Jesus mean there when he says he's not here to abolish, but to fulfill, to bring to their proper end? Well, we can miss that when we think, when we bring our own understanding of the word law here, when we bring up images of lawyers and judges and police officers and rules to be followed. That's not what Jesus is conjuring up when he says the law. First century Jews and Jesus and the gospel writers, however, they use the term the law as that primary shorthand to refer to the foundation story of Israel that begins with the creation of the world and then the creation of God's beloved and chosen covenant people. Creation of the world, Genesis 1 through 11. Creation of a covenant people, Genesis 12 through the end of Deuteronomy. That's what they understood the law to mean primarily, as a shorthand for that story. Yet even if we read the law here in a very narrow sense as a legal requirement or some kind of commandment, it still comes in the context. The commandments and the legal requirements of the law still come in the context of a story of covenant relationship with a, a rescuing and saving God with his beloved people. The law. The term the prophets draws into, the, into this the rest of the Old Testament scriptures and indicates that Jesus is reinterpreting the law for a new era. God commissioned the prophets to call the people back to the law, back to the true story of the world, back to faithful covenant living with him as their creator and redeemer. And the prophets did this at crucial moments in Israel's history, reinterpreting and applying the law afresh in the light of new circumstances, such as Israel's exile. So when Jesus says that he did not come to abolish the law and the prophets, Jesus makes the audacious claim that he is the fulfillment of human history. He is the climax and consummation of the story of creation, the story of God's plan to rescue and redeem humanity, to restore and renew his good creation Jesus, as a son of Abraham, claims to be the resolution to the problem that entered the story back in Genesis 3. That problem that holds you back from experiencing what God really wants for you. He claims to be the resolution to sin, alienation from God, and ultimately from death. We experienced that yesterday at the funeral for Ron Hallahan when we proclaimed the resurrection life of God, triumphant over death. That's yours this morning. That flourishing life, that triumphs over death is yours this morning. And we're going to turn here in just a little bit to baptizing little baby Noah here. And we're going to baptize him into the death of Jesus Christ so that he might rise to the flourishing life that Jesus put on offer in the Gospels. A life that's offered to each one of us. A life that we participate in right now. 
Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And he's also claiming that a new day is dawning, a new era is emerging. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus is poised not only to fulfill the law, but also to teach us and to equip us for this new reality, the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus is the fulfillment of the prophets. Ultimately, Jesus is claiming that he is the fulfillment and embodiment of human flourishing of our greatest desires. And he can make this claim because he lived a truly flourishing life as a man perfectly in relationship to God on the terms of the law. And that's yours. That's going to be Noah's here in just a minute. He's going to be baptized and he's going to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. You can say amen. amen. As a result, Jesus is the key to human flourishing today because he has made a way for us to flourish in and through him. When we repent and turn to him, when we are baptized in him, when we are clothed with his righteousness, when we are submerged and incorporated into his life-giving story of death and resurrection, all of those good things of his flourishing life and his kingdom are ours. You see, Jesus is the key to flourishing because through him we can be reconciled to our creator God in whose image we have been made and we can be reconciled to one another and we can have a restored relationship to this beautiful creation. This is the law. Love God. Love your neighbor. This is what human flourishing looks like. Love God, love your neighbor by the power of Jesus present in you by his spirit who has written that law on your hearts. Pray today. Seek Jesus. We heard it in the, we heard it in the psalm. Seek my face. Seek Jesus. Saturate yourself in the word of God Come here every Sunday. Hear the word read and taught. Receive the word broken at the table for us. Father Daniel Berrigan said it so well. Our faith is not wrapped up so much where our head is or where our heart is. Our faith is where we put our butts at on a Sunday morning. So show up and see Jesus here in word and sacrament through this liturgy. Saturate yourself daily by prayerfully reading his word, whether it's through Lectio Divina or, or the prayer book tradition or whatever it is. Saturate yourself with Jesus, this image of the true and flourishing life. And read, read the Bible. Read whole books of it. Get a big picture whenever you can. Whenever you've got a two-hour here or there, maybe it's just twice a year. Read Isaiah. Read Genesis. And become acquainted with this unfolding drama of a God who loves us and redeems us. And who saves us through his son's death and resurrection. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.